Christ has indeed risen from the dead. And today we'll be looking at how Christ's resurrection benefits us. So in connection with that, we're going to be reading together from 2 Corinthians. And we'll be reading from the second letter of the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. And you'll be able to find that on page 1329 of your pew Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 12 to 21. The Apostle Paul is writing this second letter to the Corinthian church after his first one in which he rebuked them for having people who openly embraced sin among them and they they celebrated that. Now, in the meantime, they have repented and they have been grieved by their sin. And so the Apostle Paul is writing them this second letter to encourage those who have not completely given themselves over to the cause of Christ to lift up those who are grieving because of sin and to overall uh, encourage the congregation there. We come here to chapter 5, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes there, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh." Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all new things, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We'll now look at the Heidelberg Catechism, our confession today, which deals with this same topic of of death and resurrection and what this looks like. We're looking at Lord's Day 17, and you can find that on page 531 of your book of praise. Last week we dealt with the part of the Apostles' Creed that dealt with Christ's death and burial. And now in Lord's Day 17, we come to the Apostles' Creed where it says he rose again. And the question there is, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. So far. 
beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever had someone that uh, looked at you with that funny expression that says, you're crazy? The Apostle Paul, the author of this letter to the Corinthian church, had this happen to him. This is what the opening part of this text, verses 12 to 15, is all about. There was a portion of the Corinthian congregation that still did not accept the Apostle Paul. Although the majority of the congregation did accept him as being an apostle, as being uh, ordained by Christ and sent to them by Christ, there was a part of the congregation that did not. And they looked at the Apostle Paul, they looked at everything that he was suffering through, the lengths that he was willing to go, they looked at him and they said, you're crazy. His response to them is this. We want to encourage you to understand why we are doing what we're doing. Some people think we're crazy. They're looking at what we're doing from an outside point of view and it makes no sense to them. And fair enough, Paul was content with, with trials, with discomfort, and with pain. But there was a reason for it. It wasn't for the sake of looking crazy. He was putting up with all sorts of suffering for the glory of God and for their benefit. Because by undergoing all these sufferings and being willing to put up with all of this pain, he was able to bring them the gospel. His work was bearing fruit that was both for God's glory and for his neighbor's good. So Paul's response to them was this. You're spending so much time looking at the outward results of my work. You're spending so much time looking at the flesh. I want you to take a step back and look at the inward results of this work. To those people who look at the outside and not the heart, know this. It's the love of Christ that's motivating us to do what we're doing. We love Jesus Christ, and that's what's pushing us to share the gospel, to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to bring them from darkness into light. And because of this love, we're not just living for ourselves. We are living for Christ. We're living for him who died and rose again. For the love of Christ, verse 14 for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is completely consistent with what we are teaching. We're not crazy, we're rational. We're acting out of love for Christ, out of love for you, for the glory of God. This radical change is tied very closely to Christ's death and resurrection. Because just as radically as we're changed from death to life, so radical is this change from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. 
Being in Christ means that our catechism, as our catechism says, that we are raised up to a new life. This is normal. As new creatures, we're living for Christ, Paul says to his readers, and so should you. Why? Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in him, your old self has died. Your old self is dying. And you have been raised up to a new life. And then he switches metaphors, but it carries on the same idea. You are a new creation. We'll see that under the following points. You are separated from the flesh, and you are thoroughly changed in the heart. Now, as we get into this, we need to understand whom the Apostle Paul is speaking to. The Apostle Paul is looking at a people who are repentant, and everything that follows that the Apostle Paul says has to be looked at through this lens. Again, in the first letter of the Corinthians, it was specifically aimed at people who were willingly and openly accepting those who were living in unrepentant sin. But now they have repented and they've grieved from their sin. And now the Apostle Paul is looking at a people who are repentant. He's shifted his focus from those who reject him to the repentant group. And this is important. Because what he says about being a new creation has to be viewed through this lens. What he says about being a new creation, if you take it apart from that, and if you completely isolate those sections, it can almost be interpreted as live however you want. But he precisely preached against that. A people that is a new creation in Christ won't use this freedom as an excuse for sin. Instead, they hate the bad things that they do in life, the things that they know are wrong, and they want to live differently. They want to live differently because, in verse 14, the love of Christ compels them, just like it compels the Apostle Paul. So that being clear, let's take a look at what's addressed in verse 16. It says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Today's world says you must look at the outside of a man to measure him or her. You measure a person by what he or she looks like, by what he or she does. You divide humanity into tribes. That's actually a big thing in today's day and age, the whole intersectional hierarchy. So people who are less oppressed and people who are more oppressed and the whole spectrum of of people in between, and you divide people into these various tribes. You judge people by the outside, by their history. (laughs) You divide humanity into tribes, and you look at the flesh, at someone's current and past successes and failures. But then we have this. We regard no one according to the flesh. Verse 16. So what's meant here? Being Christians now, Paul and his companions look at the whole world from a different perspective. They don't look at the world from a physical point of view. They're not looking at the outside of a man. They're looking at the world from a spiritual point of view, from the point of view of those who have put their faith in Christ and those who don't. Those who haven't, even those who had seen Christ in the flesh before, don't look at him from a physical point of view anymore. Did you catch that? 
Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. The second half of verse 16. The Apostle Paul himself, it seems, had seen Christ during his time on earth, along with some of the others that were his companions. This was before his conversion. And yet he counts that as having no value compared to being joined to Christ through faith, being joined to Christ spiritually. And so now he looks at all of humanity through the glasses of whether or not they have been or have not died and been resurrected. Whether they have or have not been made into a new creation. Whether they have or have not been joined to Christ by faith. So what does that do for us? It changes our view of humanity as well, doesn't it? Looking at a person from the inside instead of from the outside strips down the barriers that are there between humanity. Compare that for a moment to what our society teaches us. There's another section of our world today that praises the person who is a self-made man, a person who has shaped himself and who has formed himself and, and who has uh, made good choices when it came to his money and who has shaped himself into a successful person. But Jesus is teaching us that the value of a person is more than just in their outward appearance. The value of a person is found in more than just looking good, belonging to the right group, or succeeding in life. And this is a good thing for us. Because I can look at myself. Each of us can say this. I can look at myself and I can get really frustrated or maybe even ashamed. I can believe that no one really loves me, that no one really cares. There can be parts of me that I really struggle with because I know that they are off-putting for people. There are things I do that I hate and I don't know why I do them. And those things can be running on a cycle through our minds. Or on the flip side, I can look at myself and become prideful. I can see how successful I've come, become how far I have come compared to those people. I can find myself stumbling into the sins of seeing myself as more valuable than those who are around. But praise God, this is not how we look at ourselves and how we look at each other anymore. Christ has come. And because of Christ, I don't look at myself in terms of the flesh anymore, the Apostle Paul says, because he no longer looks at me in terms of the flesh. My Heavenly Father doesn't look at me in terms of the flesh. My Heavenly Father looks at me through the lens of Jesus Christ. The theologian John Calvin writes, Thus, all flesh is abased, which is to say humbled, and believers are admonished that they must now live to God inasmuch as they are a new creature. This they cannot do unless they forget the world, as they are also no longer of the world, because they are of God. So saying that we need to push off these views of the outward trappings of people, 
are views of their outward successes. And we need to look at where their value truly lies. We take a step back from the point of view of the world, these fleshly things, in terms of dying, we look at our sin. I look at my sin and I repent and then I come to God and ask for forgiveness for the sake of Jesus Christ. This is our death. We can see that in Lord's Day 16. Our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us. We can struggle with those evil desires, but when we reject them and we bring them to Jesus Christ, they no longer reign in us, even though it might be a battle that seems overwhelming at times because we have been subjected to Christ who reigns when we come in repentance to him. We have a different Lord, and that Lord does not take the face of our sin. And in this, my shame before God is lifted. I've been forgiven, and I've been resurrected. I am accepted in Christ, and my identity lies not in how I'm failing or in how I am succeeding or what group I am a part of, but my identity lies in him. My value lies not in what other people think. My value lies in Christ. This levels the playing field immensely for humanity. No longer matters how wealthy or successful you are. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. As we look up to Christ and put our faith in the one who suffered on the cross and ask for forgiveness from the one who died for us and strength from him. We are equal in him. There was a time when I was with a group of young people in downtown Hamilton and we were bringing food to a very large group of homeless people, soup on a cold winter day. And I'll be honest, I wasn't really sure that I wanted to be there. Some of them were very big, from my perspective, and seemed slightly aggressive. One man who seemed a little unstable and who was bigger than I was tried to fight, pick a fight with another homeless person a quarter his size, and the other one ended up stopping and apologizing and de-escalating the situation with a hug. A lot of them were very rough-looking and clearly either had been or were under the influence of drugs. But one stood out to me in particular. She was an older woman who had badly abused drugs and she admitted to it. She could barely function enough to string two coherent sentences together. She was shaking from head to toe so badly because she had abused drugs all her life. But she wanted to show us something. She pulled out her Bible. Her hands were shaking so badly that she couldn't open it. She was, she was trying to open it and trying to find a passage, but she couldn't. And so she passed on the Bible to us and had us open it to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. We passed it back to her and she began to read. 
her shaking almost disappeared. Her voice became steady. And she read through the whole of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And for a moment she had peace. That day I learned something. This woman, through all her sins and shortcomings, had put her faith in Jesus Christ. And side by side, as she read that psalm, we stood together at the foot of the cross. Together for just a few moments on that cold, dark winter night, we were looking at the same Savior. Judging by the outward appearances, this woman was in a hopeless situation. But in Christ, she looked forward to a day in which her trembling Hands could be still. She looked at the one who, by his resurrection, has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness that he obtained for us by his death, in which she would be washed clean of all the things that she had done, and she had confidence in that sure pledge of a glorious resurrection, a day in which her broken mind would be healed, in which her cravings for damaging things would be taken away, in which we, she would no longer be homeless but she would be at home with the Lord. To God, her value was no longer found in the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. Her value was found in more than just her outward appearances and her sin. Her value is found in Christ. Again, this is not an excuse for sin. This is never an excuse to continue in sin, but it's a recognition of a reality. The moment that my faith is in Jesus Christ, when he has claimed me as his own, I am a new creation to those who have the Spirit work in such a way in their hearts that they repent. They hate their sin because they love Jesus Christ. They ask forgiveness for what they do. They are transformed. And their old selves being put to death and they are a new creation in Christ and so we no longer look at the flesh when you're brought to life in Christ that flesh has been put to death in Christ that changes how we look at the world we no longer look at the world through the lens of the flesh we look at the world through the lens of does this person know Christ? Does this person find their peace in Christ? Has this person put their trust in Christ? If you are in Christ, then your flesh no longer defines you. As broken as you are, you are joined to him. And your value, your identity is not found in yourself, but in the one whose image you bear. And this brings us to our second point. You're thoroughly changed in the heart to be a new creation. So if we see someone who is in Christ, who's truly repentant, we give thanks. And then we encourage them with this. Being in Christ, you are made a new creation. You are made a new creation and you have something different to live for. We encourage each other to live differently in light of who we are in Jesus Christ. And I want to emphasize this. The Apostle Paul is not condemning people here. 
There are plenty of times when he does confront sin and rebuke. Don't get me wrong there, but that's not what he's doing here today. There are plenty of times in which we are required to confront sin. We are required to rebuke our brothers and sisters out of love. But that's not what's happening here today. Having showed their repentant life, he is now encouraging them in a faithful living. We're not looking at you according to the flesh, but in the spirit. Verse 17, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We now live differently. The apostle Paul is reminding them, look at yourselves. Look at yourselves. How I look at you in Christ. How God looks at you in Christ. Christ is giving you a clean sheet. You who believe in him, he doesn't credit your sins to your account. And in the second place, he's made our relationship right with God, reconciling us to God through the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, verse 18, and the word of reconciliation, verse 19, is the gospel of Jesus going out. Through the word that goes out, God reconciles his people because he reconciled them through his son. And this is the proclamation of that reconciliation, that being made right in our relationship with God. So, Paul says, when we look at you, we're not looking at you according to the flesh, your failures and the sins. They don't define who you are. Your identity doesn't lie in your sin. We're looking at you how Christ looks at you as a new creation. So now live out of that. Live out of where your identity lies. Your new identity lies. Live as that new creation guilt-free, leaving the shame of your past behind you, leaving it with Christ, having it put to death in him. When you fail, come to him in repentance and ask for forgiveness of him and of those around, remembering that that part of you doesn't belong anymore because your identity doesn't lie there anymore. That that part of you doesn't belong anymore, but that part of you is to be put to death. And you're lifted up to a new life in Christ. The only way to do that joyfully and without guilt is remember this. Remember verse 19. That Christ is no longer imputing their trespasses to them. What does that mean? To impute means to credit to their account. It means it belongs to them. It's, it's attached to them and they can't let it go. You live for Christ and you are then able to get up time and time again in his strength and not sink down in shame at your own failures because if you believe in him, he reminds you today that he no longer counts your sins against you. He no longer imputes them to you. And so, you lay them aside. You cut them out of your life because they don't belong to who you are and where your identity lies. They are no longer counted against you. 
He no longer imputes them to you. So how do I know this is true for me? Simple, really. I've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And I am living as a new creation by the grace of the Holy Spirit who lives in my heart. That doesn't mean that I'm without sin, but it does mean that I hate my sin and I see it as not belonging to me, as not being a part of me because I want to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. I can only do that if the Holy Spirit is working in me. I wouldn't be able to do that if the Holy Spirit was not working in me. And so I can take comfort in that. And I can echo the words of the Lord's Supper form as we reflect on that. And next time we have Lord's Supper, hold on tightly to this. It's something that we hear time and time again and something that we, we often glaze over and our minds starts to wander because we've heard it so many times. But this part of the Lord's Supper form where it's talking about who we are as a new creation in Christ. We are aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We don't have perfect faith. We don't serve God with such zeal as he requires. Daily we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and with the evil desires of our flesh. Yet, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, and here comes where finding our identity in being a new creation in Christ kicks in. What, look, what does it look like when we're looking at these sins? By the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are hardly sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. Therefore, for that reason, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. This is yours if you believe in Jesus Christ. It's God who reconciles you. You are made worthy partakers. It's God who joins you to Christ as new creations. And loved ones, if this isn't you, and if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is the free gift of the gospel of grace that's extended to whoever repents and believes. And I plead with you with these final verses of the Apostle Paul. We are ambassadors for Christ as, through God, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Be reconciled to God. And as you look back on it, rejoice in the fact that it's his work that brings you there from start to finish. Amen.